I really hope I can fill in the blank. I really hope that I can go on vacation this year. I really hope my sports team wins the playoffs. I really hope I don't get cancer. I really hope my children all find godly spouses. These are all good things to hope for. Some of them are more trivial than others. We all have many things that we hope for. Most of them are reflected our desires for this life to be comfortable and to enjoy it, to spend our time in ways that are meaningful to us. Many of us often begin as children brimming with hope. And depending on how life treats you, maybe your life unfolds and your expectations are met and you remain hopeful. You're one of those optimists among us, right? Always looking at the world as, as a, a, the glass is half, as full, right? Or, and, and there are others. Your expectations are not met, right? You've, your hopes are not reached. Your desires are not brought to your expectation. And so you become jaded and maybe cynical. And you're, you begin to diminish your hopes. You begin to make them less and less and when the reality of our hopes is not realized, we begin to tame them down a little bit so that they can be met. Sure, we hope to go on a vacation, but my boss being who he is and my bank account being what it is, probably is not going to happen the way I want. So instead of Florida, maybe Knobles. But unfortunately, we often read our experiences of hope back into the Scriptures, instead of allowing the Scriptures to form not merely the definition, but the basis for our hope. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians, is dealing with a group of people that is denying that there was a resurrection. And some even were saying that it has already happened. But if that's the case, what's the point of being a Christian? Why not just adopt the worldview, eat, drink, and be merry for Tomorrow we die. Paul answers by pointing out the kind of hope that Jesus' resurrection provides. And continuing with our theme for this Holy Week as being what kind of. Last Sunday we looked at what kind of king is Jesus on Palm Sunday. And on Monday, Thursday we considered what kind of savior is Jesus. This morning we're going to be asking what kind of hope is Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or, or you have a bulletin in front of you, please turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be- begin at verse 19 through 26. So let's read this together. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all 
his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then I know this isn't printed in your bulletin, but I'm going to skip down to verse 58 and read also there. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this portion of your word, and we ask that as we open it, you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. May they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our closest kinsman redeemer. For we pray in his name. Amen. To understand this text, we're going to ask three questions. What is our hope? Where is our hope? And when is our hope? So that we can discover the kind of hope that Jesus is. So first, consider with me, what is our hope? See, Paul is in the midst of a sustained argument against those who say that there is no resurrection from the dead. Paul is emphatic that if we only have hope in this life, we would be the most pitiable, the most miserable people. If it is the case that there is no resurrection, then why would we live as Christ calls us to live? But Paul says that's not the case. To prove that, he points to the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But how does the resurrection of Jesus provide us hope? Other people have been raised from the dead. How is Jesus different? And how does that provide us the durable hope that we too can share in that kind of resurrection? I want you to notice the flow of his argument. He points to the reality that in Adam, all die. See, the sad reality is that there is a stable fact that colors and defines all of our experience. Death. This is inescapable. We all will die. As hard as we try, no matter how much exercise, how healthy, whether we wear a mask or we don't, whether we're vaccinated or we're not, we all will die. It is the universal experience of everyone across culture and time. But given this universal experience, what also remains stable and accurate is the universal sense that death is not natural. We all intuitively know that this is not the way it should be. We grieve when we lose somebody we love. Why? If it's going to happen to us all, you'd think as a collective humanity, we'd have gotten used to it by now. We'd have just accepted the fact that that's how it is. We all die. But we don't feel that way. We feel a deep loss and we grieve and we mourn because we we know intuitively that there's something more. But what Paul is doing is showing that in the resurrection of Jesus, that process of death is reversed. Now, instead of death being the dominant reality and our only hope, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, so also will we share in his resurrection. 
Jesus' resurrection is the prototype of our resurrection. He is the first fruit. Any of you gardeners know this experience. You have cultivated and cared for that heirloom tomato plant for months and months since it was a little seed and it's grown and now it has that little fruit. It's green still, but you're anticipating it's coming. And then it finally arrives, that first fruit, ripe and red, and you pluck it off and you go inside and you don't even cut it up. You just eat it like an apple, right? And it's so good. But it's, it's good not just because it tastes good, but it's good because you know that there are numerous other fruit that will come right after it, right? It's, it brings out your anticipation of what that plant is going to produce the rest of the season. It builds that anticipation. And that first fruit is something that you can look forward to in the rest of the plant. In the same way, When Jesus rose from the dead, it was not an isolated event, but the first fruits of a whole harvest. That anticipation is the promise of life after death. As we noticed last Lord's Day and considered on Monday, Thursday, and also on Good Friday, Jesus, God in the flesh, sets the pattern by willingly submitting to death as the Son of Man. And all the disciples are dejected. They look and they think, what, hap- what just happened? Even though he told them that it would happen over and over again, they're still surprised. They don't expect it. And I get it. I would have been like, Peter, let's go fishing. I don't know what to do. That seems like a good idea to me. Death, the universal undefeated champion, was beaten when Jesus, on the third day, rose again. Disciples didn't anticipate that. The world did not anticipate that. But Jesus' death and then his subsequent resurrection sets a new pattern for how we can share also in. He is the first fruit. He's the one, he's the prototype in which our hope, our resurrection hope is patterned on. So what kind of hope is Jesus? He's resurrection hope. Jesus is the hope that despite the universal experience of death for us, it's not the end. Jesus is the kind of hope that extends beyond the horizons of this life into all of eternity. I want you to think with me closely about the hope Jesus' resurrection provides. This last year for Hope Church was a very, very trying year. We faced death over and over in the loss of our brothers and sisters in the faith. We have sat together with grieving widows and their children and family at the loss of their husbands. What kind of hope does the resurrection of Christ provide for them? It provides the promise that this is not the end. We will see Bob again and Frank and Ron and BJ and so many others who have gone before us. Their death is not the end. Yes, we grieve because we don't have them here now, but the hope of the resurrection affords us is durable. It's as durable as his own life after death. Death could not hold Jesus. And in the same way Paul is saying, just as it cannot hold Jesus, it will not hold you. 
It's a hope that is kept safe for us where Christ is in heaven. Perhaps you haven't given any thought to a hope that extends beyond the grave. Perhaps you've been lulled to apathy through constant entertainment and the escapism of social media. Or maybe you've been of the sort that doesn't believe that there is a resurrection. That this life is all that there is. Paul is emphatic. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. What a wager to disregard your own sense that there there must be more than this. Coupled with the clear witness of Scripture. Don't be among those who have hope only in this life. That's a miserable and pitiable condition to be in. Because Jesus' resurrection was the prototype, we have hope that all those who belong to him will share in his resurrection. What is your hope? Hopefully it's resurrection hope. But it may seem obvious what our hope is, but I... I don't want you to miss where our hope is found. The momentous events of Holy Week culminate with our celebration this morning of that resurrection hope being found only in Christ. Did you notice that? The prepositions are essential. In Adam, all died. But in Christ, all will be made alive. What do you hear from real estate agents? Location, location, location. The location matters. The same goes for your hope. Where is your hope? Where is it located? Too often we have not given thought to these little prepositions, but they powerfully show forth the gospel. Paul is driving this point home and over and over again in his letter to the Corinthians. The resurrection of Christ being a prototype points to a future harvest when, as Paul says in verse 23, Christ will come again. And all those who belong to him, all those who are in him, will then be made alive. Paul says elsewhere in Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying the very same thing that he's saying in our text this morning, there in Romans. Jesus did not come to die and be raised to new life as an individual, but as a representative. All those who are united to Christ in his death will share in his resurrection. We spoke of this on Monday, Thursday. All those in the house that are covered by the blood are saved from the angel of destruction in the Passover. It is the same way. All those who are in Christ Jesus will be saved because they have died with Him. And now they have been 
raised to new life. Christ is the location that brings us safely through death to resurrection life. His blood covers us. But only for those who are in Him. As Calvin said, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. If Christ died out there and you didn't die with Him, then you don't share in His resurrection life. The location of your hope is in Jesus Christ. Where is your hope? I don't mean your hopes for how you're going to get a new iPhone or that new car. I mean your hope of life after death. I don't mean a hope that touches only the surface, the temporary. I mean a hope that will endure for all of eternity. I mean a hope for resurrection life beyond what you can dream of, beyond what you can see with your eyes. There are a couple things I want to draw out from this. First, if you don't know if you are in Christ, you need to ask yourself, you need to have a very deep conversation with yourself. Where is my hope? If your hope is in anyone or anything that would be destroyed by death, then you need to ask yourself, is my hope durable enough to survive death? Eradicating COVID is not a durable hope. Nor is world peace, nor eliminating starvation. All of those hopes extend only to the comforts of this life, but are of no help in the life which is to come. Those are good things, and we should be working towards them. But if that's all that you're hoping in, then I'm sorry, but you will be sadly disappointed. Jesus told this story of the rich man and Lazarus to illustrate this point. Lazarus was a poor beggar. He had nothing. He would beg for scraps from the rich man's table who every day feasted sumptuously. He's described as wearing the best clothes. Right? He's, eating, he's wearing Gucci for his pajamas. And the poor Lazarus and the rich man die together. And the Lazarus goes to paradise and he's with Abraham. But the rich man goes to the place of torment in Hades. And although they're separated by an uncrossable chasm, the rich man can see Lazarus and Abraham. And he begs Abraham to send Lazarus over to give him Water, because he is in such turmoil. He still thinks that his class and his status matter, that he can demand Lazarus to come and give him water. But Abraham warns him that whatever, God, whatever good he had in life, Lazarus never had any of that. And now, because Lazarus had believed, he is in the bosom of Abraham. He's experiencing paradise. Whereas the rich man is experiencing torments that he could never fathom. But it's this thing at the very end that I want you to notice. He says to Abraham, he begs him, I have five brothers. I want you to send Lazarus back to go warn them about this place. I don't want them to come here. And this is what Abraham said. Verse 29, he said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither 
will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead? You might say to yourself, you know, if Jesus were here right now and he told me he rose from the dead, then I would believe. Then I would respond. But would you? You see, everywhere in Scripture and our own experience is that this life is not all there is. There's much more. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? And does it extend to the places that you don't understand and you can't see with your eyes and you can't even fathom? And notice also that the rich man, though he didn't respond, right? He didn't believe. He didn't even love like basic neighbor love. He didn't even give scraps from his table to the person who was begging there. And that consequently only resurrection hope is sufficient to equip for endurance in this life. You see, if if this life is all there is, then you're going to naturally operate like I'm going to get everything I can at the exclusion of someone else. Why would I love this poor man when I can eat and be satisfied right now? And if this life is all there is, why does it matter if I love him? But if you have resurrection hope, you know this life is not all there is. And you know the way that you treat those you come in contact with matters. Secondly, we need to understand that our union with Christ is a work of the Spirit. And the instrument that accomplishes that union is faith. If you don't have the hope of the resurrection, then in essence you don't have the hope of salvation. Salvation is ultimately freedom from the curse of sin, which is death. As Paul exclaims toward the end of this chapter in verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ Jesus leads to victory over the power of sin over us, resulting in resurrection life. Faith is taking hold of, of resting in the finished work of of Jesus Christ. As by faith your sins were laid on Jesus and He died for them. He paid the penalty of them. The record of debt, it was canceled out. It was nailed to the cross. And God said, not guilty to you. And He said, guilty to my Son. And His Son died. But He didn't stay dead. Then on the third day, he rose him up from the dead and he vindicated his sacrifice. And he says, well done. Where is your resurrection hope? In Christ alone, he is our only hope in life and in death. Because Jesus' resurrection was the prototype, we have hope that all those who belong to him will share in his resurrection. But hope hope deferred makes the heart sick, the Proverbs tell us. 
And it seems as if the world is continuing on just as it had before Christ came. Then when is our hope? How long do I have to wait for my hope? Notice in verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. There is an order of operations here. Christ first, then at his coming, all those who belong to him. This is a reference to his second coming, when the Christ the King and Sovereign Lord comes to judge the world. Because Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits, or what we might call also a down payment, the proof of its reality, we have confidence that at the end of time, when Christ returns, we will share in his resurrection life. Well, what good is a hope that is that far off? As as it seems it is, Christ seems to tarry a long time. As Paul said in in Romans 8, 24, "For for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, actually, all hope is future-orientated. Only our future hope is set in an indeterminate frame. We don't know when that is. We don't know when Christ will come again. But when our hope is fulfilled is not as important as how we will be in the meantime. The question then becomes, if Christ has been raised from the dead as a prototype, guaranteeing our own resurrection from the dead, how then should we live? And Paul answers that at the end of this chapter, verse 58, where he said, Therefore, he had been making a long argument about the resurrection. We only focused on just a little fragment of that. But at the end of it, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What characterizes hope in the meantime is waiting, patience, endurance, longing, and holiness. A child waiting for his birthday exhibits all these. He may say such things as, I can't wait. He may nervously walk the floor, climb the walls for days. And he will be on his best behavior to be sure that nothing goes wrong to forfeit the prize of the birthday day, presents and cake. Hope is the absolutely essential ingredient for living the Christian life. Resurrection hope is not the promise of your best life now. It is not the promise that you will never go through suffering and hardship. It is not the promise that everything in your life will even make sense to you. But it is the promise that what this life holds for you, its suffering, its pain, its hardships are all instruments in the hands of a potter who is shaping you into a vessel fit for service in his kingdom. A kingdom of resurrection life. Hope enables you to persevere and enables you to be steadfast. Paul is saying that because Christ has been raised from the dead and his resurrection is the prototype, you have hope 
that you will share in his resurrection life when he comes. So resurrection hope leads to confident obedience in the Lord, knowing that our work is not in vain, meaning that your work is preparing for you an eternal reward, something that must far far outweigh anything you have to endure in this life to obtain it. As again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. But that also means that the absence of hope also produces something. The interesting thing about hope is that you have to have it to live. The real absence of any hope is suicide. But when you lose hope in the resurrection, in Jesus Christ, your soul is a vacuum and that hope must be replaced with something or someone else. Here is where the world, the flesh, and the devil are ready and waiting to offer you new hope. The Western world has banished resurrection hope through disenchantment, leaving the only hope remaining consigned solely to what we can see in this life. If you can't see it, you can't hope in it. And if you want hope, you you can only find it in the stuff of this world. This lack of transcendent hope is a mark of the cultures of death. If you have no resurrection hope, you don't have children. You murder them in the womb. If you don't have resurrection hope, you don't cultivate community around the shared ideal of putting others first and dying to yourself. Instead, you take what you can get in a zero-sum power grab. If you don't have resurrection hope, the only way to cope with the malaise is a continual retreat and alter realities. I don't mean just escapism of TV and movies I mean the invention of alternate realities that we can actually live in through VR and artificial intelligence. I was watching the Facebook keynote for Metaverse the other day. Mark is selling hope. He's trying to convince you that you can live in this reality And it will be better than the reality that you're inhabiting now. You'll have greater connection. It'll be a better experience. But I promise you that the hope of an artificial reality ever replacing real reality is is hopeless. The plastic artificiality of it can never be scrubbed of what robs us from hope. In this creation, sin, you will take your sin with you into your virtual realities. Just as it spoils our world, so will it spoil horizons. In fact, I read recently that they had to implement personal spaces automatically because female players were complaining of being harassed and groped in the virtual reality. 
So you can't come within two feet of any other avatar in the game. That's Facebook's way of fixing the problem. That's not community. Community that's not formed on resurrection hope is hopeless. Hopes within this world always devolve into Babel-like projects, and they always get frustrated by God. But for those who hope is in Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, the church is the community of those who belong to the resurrected one. A community of shared hope banded together into a common waiting, patience, endurance, longing, and holiness. A community formed around our common resurrection hope, which we don't celebrate just on Easter Sunday, but every Lord's Day is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. And so we gather every first day of the week to worship and celebrate that resurrected Lord because He provides our hope. Just as, and then the ascended Christ, who Paul says in verse 25, must reign until he comes again, putting all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be put under his feet is death, ushering in the joys of that resurrection life in the new heavens and the new earth. Because Jesus' resurrection is a prototype we have that same hope of resurrection life because we belong to Him. And as a, as a visible reminder of our resurrection hope, Christ furnishes us with His table in the wilderness to nourish our faith in our sojourn, waiting for the return of Christ. This is a meal of the first fruits. A participation in Christ's broken body and shed blood in anticipation of our participation in His resurrection. We're anticipating it now as we share in His death which led to His resurrection. As we eat and drink, we proclaim our, our faith together in His atonement of our sins, of His reconciling us to God and of our being at peace with Him. How is hope Sustained in the sojourning we're all called to through this meal, where by the Spirit our faith is nourished, strengthened for our patient endurance of all the trials of this life. A meal where faith is fed, equipped with the knowledge that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Amen? So as the elders come forward, Paul says,